0: one right to you just leave it leave it up long enough to where they can see it and they'll get you a copy of what we're using this morning to take some notes and uh follow along well praise the lord it's been a great week um my wife and i every teen revolution week in pigeon Forge, we for the last several years uh is our anniversary so yesterday caroline and i celebrated 28 years of marriage. And so uh, I want to say to my wife, happy anniversary, sweetheart. We're, we're more in love than we've ever been. I tell you, God's done so many things for us uh, here even recently. And we're just having a wonderful time being a couple and being married. We're going to celebrate it in a few weeks. Uh, it's hard to celebrate in this season of life. It's so busy with schools and conferences and things. So we've got, we'll figure something out. But uh, we are grateful to have a family that's serving the Lord and uh, in this church. And so I'm honored to uh, to. to recognize uh, what God's done in, in my wife and I's life in our marriage of 28 years. Well, we're back in the Old Testament, and uh, you know what that means, right? In this series, we're, we're three sermons away. I'm kind of concluding the series. We've been uh, back and forth, back and forth, old and new. Old Testament means we're going to discuss a problem attitude, right? The power of attitude. And by the way, there's a lot of power in bad attitude. I mean, I, the wrong kind of power, but there, there is a, a lot of consequences that bad attitudes... Uh, can produce in our lives but by the same token when we have the kind of attitudes that 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 kind of put off the old and put on the new the right then we find there's a lot of power in that as well and so this morning we're looking to the Old Testament and we're going to see that the children of Israel were sent out into the wilderness initially because of their murmuring because of their complaining and if you remember that was the first negative attitude we discussed. the foundation of all bad attitudes is just complaining murmuring Uh, scripture describes it as grumbling you see and so they began there but it didn't stop there we find secondly they were very covetous they were coveting people and then it turned into a critical spirit they began to criticize so it goes from complaining to coveting to criticizing then they begin to doubt and finally it leads to our fifth problem attitude of rebellion and rebellion, of course, is, is, I think, the culmination, if you will, of all of these other attitudes that are not dealt with, that are not replaced with the right spirit and the right attitude. And if you analyze society today, today, right now, I, I don't have uh, much fear that you would not agree with me that we are living in a super rebellious time as a nation. If you were to go back and analyze society, and I, even back to the 50s, I was born in 1965, but if you go back to the 50s, I, I studied just a little bit and found that back then, uh, the, the, the crux of the, the was surface rebellion in the 50s. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, the dress, the hair, the music. And now to me, that seems so trivial. I'm amazed at people still making, you know, this, this big deal over these trivial subjects. To be honest with you, <laughs> Today, it has gotten a whole lot worse than just a dress issue, a hair issue, a music issue. The truth is, even in the 60s, we saw what this preacher called structural rebellion. Down with the establishment, make love, not war, an increase in the rebellion of a society. In the 70s, we found that there was sexual rebellion, and I remember that, I, was, I lived, I kind of my, my, the, the middle part of my teenage years was in the 70s, and I remember the birth of statements like, if it feels good, do it, you know. I still hear that sometimes today, but it was born, birthed, if you will, in the 70s, and abortion on demand, and all that comes along with that. Then the 80s, we saw sexual, or rather a social rebellion. Every minority demanding their rights. And now in the 90s, in the 2000s, You know, if I were alliterating this, going from, you know, surface to structural to sexual to social, I would have to say the final one is just a super rebellion. It's just out of control. It's just, I mean, our nation is out of control. There is rebellion against every God-ordained authority there is. And you and I have a tendency at times to look at society as was shared just a moment ago by young people. And I think they're right on. It's really easy to point the fingers outside the church. It's very easy for you and I to look at the people who are so difficult as the people being outside the church, so difficult to lead today because they're so independent and they're so rebellious. But you know, I'd be wasting your time if all I did was gripe and complain about what's going on outside the four walls of this church because the problem is in here. And so this morning I ask you to examine your heart. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to examine my heart, you'll find that I have become much more transparent over these years as I have stayed in the ministry and survived uh, diff- the fiery darts of, of the wicked up to this point, understanding that, that I am subject to the same temptations you are, that even though I'm a leader, even though I am someone who has a position of authority, I understand and I want you to understand that I'm not perfect and so much of what this message is about is examining our own hearts and our own attitudes ...of rebellion towards authority. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 16. I found out at the 9 o'clock service I'm going to have to go quick. This is a big chapter. There's 50 verses. And to try to give you a flyover of this is going to be challenging. But that's what's beautiful about small group. Small group is something I want to challenge you to be a part of. If you are, you know what I'm talking about... ...because you can take what I wasn't able to expound on... ...and expound on it and take the, the extra hour or two. You know, there's only so much we can accomplish... In a, in, a, in a season of, of a service. And so I ask you to be faithful to your small groups or get a guide in the, in the, in the welcome area and find one this week and email a leader and, and find out where they live and how you can become a part of a small group. But let's look at five thoughts about rebellion from this numbers area. We've been here for about five weeks in numbers as we look at the children of Israel and, and their rotten attitudes and what it led to, total destruction. First of all, I want to make this statement that rebellion is serious. It is very serious. It is is no small matter. Rebellion is to be anti-God. In fact, Scripture describes rebellion in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 23, and I actually put the Scriptures in your notes this week in a few blanks just because I really wanted you to see these verses. That rebellion, God says, is as the sin of witchcraft. He then says that stubbornness, which we'll look at shortly in just a moment, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So we're talking about a really rotten attitude here. This is an attitude that God describes as one of being demonic. Now you and I, we, we tend to, 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 to kind of, you know, we tend to look at our sin and excuse it with being, you know, I mean, I may have some rebellion, maybe a little, but come on. I mean, it's not a big deal, you know. Well, it's pretty serious because God's perspective says it's like witchcraft. I think mean, you and I would look at witchcraft and say, man, I would never participate in anything like that. Well, sometimes I think we, again, like to point our fingers at, at those who seem to be real bad when maybe we need to look at the three fingers pointing back at us and understand that our rebellion is, is just as the sin of witchcraft. It's demonic. It is of the devil. It's anti-God. Rebellion, it's really serious. To know what's right. To know the truth, but rebel against it. Now, now what are some of the God-given authorities? Well, Romans chapter 13 tells us very clearly in verses 1 and 2 that, that every soul is to be subject to the higher powers. He then goes on to say that there's no power but of God. And the powers that be are ordained of God. And then he says that can you go to the next one, please? Are you there? It should be a verse 2. It was this morning, at least in my first sermon. Huh. All right. So if you'll notice here that, that there's no power but of God. No power but of God. So let's talk about the powers that be. The powers that be or ordained of God. What are the powers that be? Let me get a little crowd participation. This isn't hard. What is one of the powers that be in our society when it, comes to, when it comes to authority. Somebody want to give me one? Parents, good. That's exactly right. That's one on my list. One of my five is parents, all right? God has given the authority in Scripture of parents, and, and children are under their authority. What's another power that be in our, in our world? Government, thank you. Nobody mentioned that this morning in the first service, but that's a, that's a big one. I got that one the number one on my list. The government is a power. Did you find that, that one yet? Good, go to that one real quick. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So there are these powers that be that we should not resist. That we must understand that, that there is uh, a God-given authority. Parents, government. How about a third one? Want to try? Pastors, good. It's on my list too. Elders in the church. In our church a couple of years ago moved to more of an elder rule, where we have pastors in our church now that meet together and work together and discuss together, we're accountable to one another, we pray for one another, and we pray for you, and as that continues to develop, we understand even greater now than we did two years ago the immense responsibility we have to be an example, but also to be transparent, to make sure you're not following us because we're sinners we make mistakes, and what we need to do is we need to be an example of helping you to follow Christ like we're following Christ. Don't follow us as we follow Christ, but follow Christ like we are following Christ. There's a lot to that. So God has placed some people, people in our lives, people in authority in our lives. And to make a decision, to make a choice to rebel against those people, number one, is is very serious. Number two, Rebellion exists in every human heart. In every human heart. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. We got two people that were created, right? Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat of this tree. And they said, no, we're going to do exactly that. We know what you said. We heard you loud and clear. You gave simple instructions. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Black ink on white paper is clear. But we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we want to do. That's rebellion. It exists in every human heart. In fact, in our text, and again, as I mentioned, I'm going to move quickly, but if you'll notice in verses 1 and 2 of our text of Numbers chapter 16, to give you a quick flyby, just very quick, Numbers 16, basically, prior to this, Moses and Aaron had been leading 2 million Jews from Egypt towards the promised land, about a 300-mile journey, about from Hot Springs to Dallas, Texas, not very far. In a car, take you about five hours, but two million people, rebellious. <laughs> it took him about 40 years of wandering. It was a mess. In the, at, the, at the writing of Numbers chapter 16, Moses is 80 years old. He has become a proven leader. Not perfect, but he's a great leader, a very successful leader, a man who is very humble, about his mistakes, a man who was very meek, and a man who led gently, a proven leader, very successful. And a group of people rose up against Moses in total about 250. And then those 250, because rebellion is contagious, that 250 number grew. And they got together, and they decided to start a revolt, a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And right here in chapter 16, we see this story that plays out where they get up in their grill, in their face, and they begin to express that they resent these leaders and that they feel like maybe they should be in the position that Moses and Aaron are. And man, it gets ugly and it becomes an incredibly tragic story that we're going to try to cover this morning in about 30 minutes, but in reality, you're going to have to take this way beyond this message. And so we find here in Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, or verse 2, that they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly. I want you to notice, first of all, that they were famous in the congregation. Renowned, men of renown. This is who these men were. This was not a, 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 a bunch of nobodies. This was some somebodies. These were people who had positions of authority in the group. I mean, they were, they were leaders. They were men of renown. They were just men under the authority by God of Moses and Aaron. People oftentimes will come together on the basis of their mutual desire to resist the authority that God has placed over them. I want to encourage you this morning to understand that that's not a good group to be a part of. What is rebellion? Rebellion's ugly rebellion is lip out arms folded eyes roll back in your head back turn you ever seen anybody in total rebellion it's not a pretty sight rebellion is a choice we've mentioned this often it's a pattern of thinking that's formed over a long period of time in fact it starts with a child proverbs 22 verse 15 on the screen says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child I've got a grandchild now. It's been a while since I've had a little bitty baby. It doesn't take but a few months to understand that they're pretty rebellious. (laughs) I mean, that cute little sweet thing who seemingly makes no mistakes, you know. Oh, they're so cute. Boy, you, you, you you pull that bottle away and watch what happens. You don't give them what they want and they throw a fit. And it can get ugly the truth of the matter is, is we become big babies. As we grow up and don't get our ways, we throw our fits. And we get upset when things don't go the way we think they should go. The way, and we start thinking, maybe we could do a better job than that person or this person. I'm not just speaking of in the church. Let's think about job, workplace. I don't want this message to become just for church. It's, it's, it's for your family. It's for your, it's for your children, your kids, you see. I heard a story about a preacher. This is kind of how we feel sometimes. He illustrated this through the eyes of a child, because foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, right? But we learn so much from children, don't we? And he said he visited his he was visiting his brother's house, and his nephews uh, wanted to take, give him a tour. And so they went down to the basement to show him the game room, and they wanted to. He, he went to put his hand on this door that had a padlock on it. And the kids kind of freaked out and said, "No, that's." Daddy said, "Listen, we can't go there." You know, don't, don't, don't touch that door. Don't do that. And so he said he backed off and said, oh, okay. He said, well, Dad's the boss, so you're right. We, Dad's the boss, right? And he said both his nephews almost at the same time said, yeah, he's the boss, but we sure wish he wasn't. <laughs> we wish he wasn't the boss because, you know, none of us really like to be under someone. We struggle with that. I want you to see the sources of rebellion in our text real quick. And jot these down. The first source of rebellion I see here is jealousy. Notice in verse 3 it says here, and this is oftentimes where where rebellion begins with a jealous spirit, and they gathered themselves together against Moses. And they said, Ye take too much upon you, and all the congregation were holy, every one of them, and the, the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation ...of the Lord. In other words, this group began to say, led by Korah, why do you lift yourself up? What makes you so good? What makes you more holy than us? What makes you better than us? The truth is, what you can see playing out here is just a whole bunch of jealousy. These guys are jealous. Moses was placed over them in leadership by God. They were equal, but not the same. In fact, much of, we see much of that philosophy... In in all leadership, a husband and wife, it's not about, you know, there's a lot of debate and fear about preaching submission in the home and and the husband being the head of the home. There's a misunderstanding. It's, It's not about someone being better. It's not about a gender being better. It's we're equal, but we're not the same. There is a difference between a husband and a wife and their roles in the home. And when it's working according to God's plan, it's beautiful and it requires authority and submission. Not someone being better, equal, but not the same. This is not a a lesson on marriage. It's a lesson to warn us against rebellion and what that looks like. Jealousy. What about this word? Write this down. Another source of rebellion is the word delusions. By delusions, I mean sometimes behind rebellion. The problem is this, that we don't see ourselves clearly. We we get delusional. Look at verse number 4, moving through our text. Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Notice Moses' response to the rebellion initially was humility. He fell to his face. He loved these people. He saw what was happening. He falls to his face. He makes all of their accusations false immediately as they began to, to criticize Moses and claim him and, and blame him uh, or accuse him, rather, of thinking he's better than them. And he, he, in, his, in his normal, humble, and meek way, he falls on his face. But he gets back up. And I believe his leadership begins to show strongly as he speaks to Korah. And he goes on, and if you look at verse number 7, the end of the verse, he says, you take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. Levi. He said, you seem to want to be in my position, lest you forget, where were you when we crossed that Red Sea, faced that that that, that very critical situation? Where were you when the 12 plagues, uh, we dealt with the Pharaoh in the 12 plagues, where were you in the uh, these these... 40 years in the wilderness and when I brought down the Ten Commandments and he's reminding these people who want leadership but don't want the responsibility and the price that's paid that goes along with it. I I believe that I find that people desire the position but they don't respect the process. They they want the leadership but they don't want all that goes into getting there. They want the opportunity without the work and energy that it requires. I think this might be a good spot for us to make sure we're not becoming delusional about our wonderful men in blue that serve every community called the police, the law enforcement officers. You see, there are going to be, just like there's going to be from time to time, a bad pastor. There's going to be a bad politician. There's going to be a bad policeman. Someone who takes things to the extreme. We understand that. But let's be careful that we also understand that there is a great responsibility that these men have been given to protect us and the large majority, if not 99.9% of them are. And how would you like to be a police officer in the day and age that we live in? Being shown little respect and little appreciation. Not much pay in regards to the sacrifice that that they give. Would you agree? Thank God for the men and women in blue in our church that serve us and protect our community. So Moses finally here stands up in this passage and he acknowledges their rebellion and he says, enough is enough. You're jealous and you're delusional. You're not thinking straight. And I think our nation's becoming delusional about leadership and about authority. Thirdly, one of the third sources of 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 rebellion is just simply ingratitude, being ungrateful, ungratefulness. Look at verse number nine in our text. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you, Moses says, is it just a small thing to you that the God of Israel, he separated you from the congregation of Israel. You have leadership. Don't forget God has separated you. You have authority. People are following you as well to bring you near to himself, verse 9, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation, to minister to them. You've got responsibility. You've got authority. And he's brought thee, verse 10, near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek, seek ye the priesthood also. Here was the problem. Let me just explain it like this. Korah had a job, but it just wasn't big enough. And oftentimes what happens is, as God gives us authority, it's just not enough. God gives us influence, but we just want more. We have to be very careful that we're not ungrateful for the trust that people have given us. You see, leadership is, is not something that is necessarily deserved. It's something that is earned. And if God has given you a position of leadership, thank God for that. Be grateful for that. Don't forget how you got there. The fourth source of rebellion is stubbornness. Stubbornness is, it fuels rebellion. Look at verse 12 in our text here. And Moses called Dathan and Abiram the sons of Eliab. He wanted to have a conversation with these two dudes mentioned in verse number 1. So he calls these guys. He goes, guys, let me come, come here. Let me talk to you. Now Moses is the leader and Moses says to these two... Let me Come here, let me talk to you, and look what they say. We will not come up. Nope. Not going to do it. Under authority, but rebelling against authority. Stubborn. Here's what I wrote down for that. Are you hard to get along with? Think about it. In the places that God has put you to serve, under authority, are you Flexible. Is it easy to lead you, or is it hard to lead you? Do you have a flexible spirit? That's a good question. Sometimes I feel like we can be so hard to work with. I I, I, I can be that way. I, sometimes I, I just, that, that, that spirit of stubbornness raises up and fuels rebellion. Number five, disappointment is a source of rebellion. You see, what the rebellion person feels is real it may not be right but it's real are you with me let me show i'm talking about here look at verse 13 and 14 these men obviously had been hurt they had been hurt by leadership is it a small thing they say dolphin and abiram said this is it not a small thing that thou has brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey they refer of course to egypt here as being the land that flows with milk and honey right they say, so, you know, is, is it not enough that you already took us out of Egypt? And I stopped and thought for just a moment. You were slaves in Egypt. You may have been a slave in a nice house, but you weren't eating the same food. You may have been serving the caviar, but you weren't eating the caviar. You were slaves. They forgot that. And they said, to bring us to, to here, to, to kill us? Look at verse 13. To kill us in the wilderness? except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us. Now you want us to be a slave to you, Moses. Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. You know what I see here? I see disappointed followers, discouraged. As I pastor a church now for 24 years, and as I do some traveling and do some counseling and talk to people, even over the phone, I found so many Christians are using as an excuse as to why they are rebellious is because they've been disappointed. A few years ago, I stopped trying to make any kind of impression on you that I'm some sort of perfect leader. I stopped that. Because I found that it's real easy for people to get rebellious against authority when they're hurt by authority who who feels as if they are perfect and, and can do no harm, and the door swings both ways, and if you don't like it, you can lump it, and that attitude is rotten. And it's disappointed and discouraged a lot of people. And you know, s- some of those who I'm talking about, people you know, family members that you wish were in church, but are still pointing the finger at, a, at somebody who hurt them. Maybe it's been a boss that you work for, maybe it's a spouse, maybe you're a child here and your parents have been inconsistent. But listen to me. And I want you to take this and talk about it this week. I don't have time to expound, but I want to say this in general terms. If your parents, if your boss, if your pastor, if your leader has not asked, if your government has not asked you to sin, listen, if you're a child here and your parents are not injuring you, they may not always be consistent. And let me tell you something about your mom and dad. They're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But don't rebel. Don't let your disappointment cause you to hit the road. Don't leave the church over something that happens, it's just a mistake that's made by leadership. I'm not talking about adultery and, and ministry disqualifying things. You know what I'm talking about. This is why I, found, I find, too, that pastors seem to run and they seem to hide and they seem to pastor multiple churches over a short period of time and nobody stays anymore, church members or pastors. We all leave because we all have these expectations that are just way too high for human beings. Are you listening? Be careful not to rebel because of disappointment. Number, number six, distrust is a source of rebellion, finally. Verse number 14 <clears throat> speaks in the last part of the verse. It says, Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? Here, here's what these two guys say, Dathan and, and Abiram. Are you going to put the eyes out of these men? Are you going to pluck their eyes out? Because, you know, the only people that really follow you, Moses, are the guys that are blind followers. They just they think you're perfect. They, they, you know, you do no wrong. Are you going to make us believe that too? Take our our eyes out so we don't see your imperfections? No. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Moses was the wrong guy to pick on because his imperfections were all over the place. I mean, he was even to the point where when God tried to put him in authority, he said, not me, God. I don't qualify. Amen. I wish we all had that attitude. Amen. God, I don't know how I can do this. I'm not really. You got the wrong guy. Doesn't sound like a guy that's trying to hide his faults. And as I mentioned already, I think all of us, even parents, moms and dads, we ought to make sure our kids don't have this impression that we make no mistakes. In fact, at times, it's good for us to say, hey, I'm sorry. I may have crossed the line there. Please forgive me. I'm not perfect, but I still no excuse for rebellion because parents aren't perfect. Are you with me? Number three, rebellion has many consequences. Let me give you those consequences quickly. I won't have time to elaborate, but first of all, when you have time to read verses 15 through 21, in this 50-verse chapter, it's a lot of verses, but in verses 15 through 21, let me say, share something that you're going to see. You're going to see Moses and Aaron begin to separate themselves from this crowd. They want to help this crowd. They're burdened about these people. They, remember, Moses fell on his face, remember, in verse 4? He was so burdened, he wanted to see them not do what they're going to do, rebel against leadership rebellion against leadership is ultimately rebellion against God. And so what happens is you're going to see when you read verse 15 through 21, Moses withdraws himself. So number one, leaders withdraw. One of, the, one of the consequences of rebellion is leaders begin to withdraw. And in your notes I have this statement. If you become difficult to lead, leaders won't lead you anymore. If you become difficult to lead, Leaders won't lead you anymore. And that's not good. (laughs) When you take yourself out from under the protection, God-given protection, not perfection, protection, every God-ordained, the powers that be that are are ordained of God. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about God-given authorities, the powers that be. When we resist those powers, we take our lives into our own hands and we move out from underneath the protection that God has given us. I'm thinking right now about our students that were up here. If you're a junior high or you're a senior high student in the building, would you please stand for just a moment? Can I say a word to you guys? In the balcony, great. Junior and senior high all over the building today. We had a lot in this first service or a few in the first service. Just remain standing for a moment. Let me say a word to you. Just if you're junior or senior high, don't be embarrassed to stand. We're all standing together. Let me say this to my kids, to, to you guys that I love very much. Be very careful. Your parents may not be perfect. They're going to make a mistake from time to time. But let me encourage you to remember this, that God has given you your mom and dad or your grandparents, whoever it is that, that, that has the God-given authority in, 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 over you and your home, be careful not not to be easy to lead. Be careful to rebel and to make it hard for your parents to lead you. Because when you do, you are removing yourself from some of the sweetest, most wonderful protection that there is in your life. Please, please, don't rebel against mom and dad. Talk it out. Love your parents. Respect your parents. And understand, it's a challenging job to be a mom and dad in this day and age. One day you'll understand. You can be seated. Leaders, withdraw. Embrace the protection that God has given you. And don't rebel. Number two, the second consequence I see in verse 25, 26, and 27 is this. Innocence is defiled. Innocence is defiled. This is really hard for me to read because it's just so sad. But can I read it to you? It's really bad. It's it's the worst part of the whole scripture. Look at verse 25. So Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake it to the congregation, and he said, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest they be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out, and stood in the door of their tents, and how sad is this, and their wives, and their sons, and their grandchildren, their little children. Can I tell you something about rebellion? I want you to go ahead, Luke, and put the next number three up. Judgment declared. I want to put these two together are you ready because what you're going to read in the next six verses after verse 25 is you're going to read that judgment came it's a really ugly picture it it, it's very well described it's i mean it's pretty much right there it's it's not hard to figure it out judgment came literally a hole opened up in the earth no joke and and all of these people fell into hell i mean these rebellious crowd were wiped out Kind of like, I mean, honestly, when Tyler said what he said, it sounded kind of harsh. It was like, whoa, okay, Tyler. okay. Remember when he said God's anger was kindled and he removed them from the face of the earth? Tyler did not know that I would have a verse in my text that says, the ground opened up, and they all went in. To the pit. They all fell into hell. And you and I think how horrible. Let me tell you something. That is the end of rebellion. It's judgment. That's what's coming for this nation. A nation, hey, listen, a nation that will not declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, is a nation that will suffer judgment. But what's sad is the innocence is defiled too. It's not just the dads. It's not just these leaders. It is their wives, their children, and their grandchildren. And I want you to know, I do not want to be that kind of leader. As a father... I want my children, I want them to to not rebel against God, but to submit to God. I want them to begin that submission by having a dad who makes decisions that are wise and cautious and careful because I've been entrusted with this. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be the dad of five beautiful children, but I know this, that God's entrusted me with it, and I want to be a good steward and make good decisions and wise decisions like being faithful to my wife. And being faithful to you and doing things that are right and obeying God's commands, submitting to authority and not being a rebel. Because the truth of the matter is, more than likely if I decide to make some really bad decisions and do my own thing and go my own way, I'm going to take my wife down, my kids down and very possibly their children down. Innocence is defiled, judgment is declared, rebellion is serious. It's serious. It's serious. And then finally, rebellion spreads. Look at verse 41. But on the morrow... Now, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. you got to get this. I'm almost done. Okay? All of that just happened. Everything I told you. The earth now... We're finished. We're, we're, we're at the end of the sermon. The earth's opened up. All these people fell into it. It's ugly, it's sad, I know, it's terrible. You'll study it more this week in your small groups. You'll read it probably this afternoon. Hopefully I've created some interest in all this. And and what's going to happen is, you know, that's over. So now you're thinking, whoa, they're going to wake up. Well, that was sure harsh, but it probably fixed everything, right? I wish it did. Look at verse 41. On the morrow. What does on the morrow mean? It just means the next day. The next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, ye killed the people of the Lord. Still rebellious. You know why? Because rebellion spreads. It's contagious. Once it spreads, it it keeps going. And it it's hard to stop rebellion. That's where church splits come from. That's where teams and sides, and that's where, you know... This side sits over here and this side sits over here and this clicks over here and this clicks over here and this clicks over here. here, We like this crowd and you like... And all of a sudden that spreads, that attitude spreads and, man, it's hard to put that fire out, church. And that's why today churches are empty. Empty! I mean... There are very few churches today that are growing There's very few churches where you can even sing the song Set a fire down in my heart that I can't contain, I can't control That song, thank God we can still sing that song here And relatively feel like it might happen Because in many places it's not happening Why? Because of rebellion People don't want it to happen I like what we've got, don't change a thing We want what we've got, us four and no more Leave us alone, don't tell us what to do, don't change us Pastors that want to come in and lead, but they can't lead. This is just me venting a little bit as I counsel and talk to pastors that are so frustrated and don't know what to do because of the crowd that has rebelled and spread their rebellion. Number four, and I'm done. Rebellion is ultimately against God. Let's just be plain. Let's go back to verse 11 in our text, and I'm I'm done, obviously. Verse 11 says, Do you see it, chapter 16? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the who? Against who? The Lord. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm not against God, preacher. I'm just against you. The Bible says, and I believe this with all of my heart, that rejecting authority is rejecting God. And I'm not saying you're against me. By the way, I'm not preaching this message because I sense any kind of uprising at all. Trust me. Please know that. I'm simply preaching the whole counsel of God this morning. I'm warning us in whatever context we need this. Where is the rebellion in your life? Where is it? Identify it. In your own heart. Because ultimately, it's not a rebellion against that person. If that person is in authority, even if it's your boss at work, Well, I don't like my boss, and he doesn't do things right, and he doesn't always treat people right. Hey, listen, you have a responsibility to submit yourself. I'm going to give you some illustrations next Sunday if you come. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the antidote to rebellion. Do you know what it is? Submission. And I'm going to tell you my life, my life story, starting back at age 13 all the way to today and how God has taught me to submit. And it hasn't always been easy. And it's even been to people who I personally, at times, didn't really respect all that much, but that's who God had as my coach and that's who God had as my leader and that's who God had as my pastor and that's where I was. And so I, there were things I didn't agree with, but God had put me there and I learned to submit. And here's what I learned. God loves submission. He loves it. He blesses it. Ultimately, we submit to God. And then he teaches us how we can submit to others. And so I want you to bow your heads with me together this morning. And with heads bowed and eyes closed as we kind of cover this last negative attitude. Last one. Now we can move on to victory and and the hope of a church that would embrace the, the, the positive attitudes and the proper attitudes, the biblical attitudes. Can I ask you this question as our teens come up to? Lead us in one final worship song and invitation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, ask yourself this question. I'd really rather you just focus on God for just a moment. This is just look inside your own heart. Is there someone you have rebelled against that God has placed over you? Is there someone you have rebelled against that God has placed over you? It could be in your home. I mean, literally, there could be right now a young person right now who could be saying, that's me. I've rebelled against my parents, and it's dangerous. And, Pastor, thank you. And maybe that teenager could, before the day's out, maybe there's a conversation that could take place with Mom or Dad. Or maybe even at this altar there could be some tears, there could be a conversation. Wouldn't it be great if we could just get that right today? Maybe it's in the church. Maybe there's someone in the church that you have, God's placed over you, but, but you've harbored some bitterness, some anger, some rebellion. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's, it's your supervisor. And you're struggling. And you, 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 you've made it hard. You've been talking. You've been spreading the rumors. You, you've kind of got the revolt going. I ask you today to consider your dangerous ground. That's rebellion, and the powers that be or ordained of God. And when you resist those powers, you're resisting God. and according to Scripture, you're going to bring to yourself damnation, as a judgment for that. Be careful. They're not asking you to sin if they're not physically hurting you. and God has a purpose in that. But how could God have a purpose in that? He does. He does. So I ask you this morning to consider my message. And let's allow ourselves this morning as we close this service to confess and repent of any rebellion in our hearts. I'm going to pray, and if you need to come and pray. And if you're here today and and you know you need to be saved, I mean, you know it. You've You've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. He's brought you to a place in this service even, or prior to this service, where you recognize that Ultimately, rebellion is against God and you've sinned against God and that's rebellion and you need to confess that as sin and ask Him to forgive you and, and then recognize that Jesus Christ died on a cross and shed His blood to save you. He loves you and He wants you to submit to His love and His forgiveness and accept what He did for you on the cross as payment for your sin. If you need to do that this morning, you come forward. We're waiting up front. I've got three of us, three pastors here waiting to receive you. We'd love to take some time to share some verses with you. So, Father, bless this invitation. I pray, God, that you would move in our midst, that you would bring to mind any rebellion in our hearts. Help us to be honest. Even if it's a little bit of a seed of rebellion and bitterness and anger and resentment, Father, help us to confess it, to get it out to get it right so that it doesn't fester and and, and spread and and become full-blown and affect others. Oh, God, keep our church as one. And, Lord, when we get testy, and when we get selfish, and when I want it my way, God, would you please convict me and help me, Lord, to submit to my Heavenly Father and to the unity He requires at every church before he can bless I love you Jesus I love you thank you for a people that love me in spite of me thank you for a wife that loves me and and submits to me in spite of the fact that sometimes I'm not the best husband in all the world thank you God for kids that have seen dad make some stupid mistakes make some wrong terms but a dad who they've decided has their best interest in mind and their best choice is to submit to his authority because of the protection. Please, God, help us to come to that place in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand? If you need to come, the altars are open. Holy fire,
1: burn away, my desire, that is not